Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 136 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 22nd, 2010. We've got a really good show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. We're also going to talk with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. Talk about that Minnesota game, USC's victory up there in Minneapolis, and then the trip up to the Palouse this weekend. Playing Washington State, 3-0 Trojans, ranked number 20 in the country, trying to go 4-0. Maybe they'll drop down a couple of other spots. Who knows? We'll talk about that later on the show. But if you have any questions or comments, always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. we got a bunch of questions this week. And don't forget, you can call us. If you want to hear your voice on the podcast, leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755 is the number. That's 206-888-6755. 6755. We've got a couple of voicemail questions today. We will get to a little bit later on the show. But first, we got a Harvey Hyde's on assignment this week, so we're not going to have the coach on. So I apologize for all the big coach fans out there. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez. He knows everything about USC recruiting. He knows all about the team, too. So we'll talk about a little bit of both. Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I guess I'm the leadoff hitter this week. You are leading off. Yes, Gerard. We're gonna get, we got we ignored some of the recruiting questions. I feel bad because we haven't had you on for a couple of weeks, so we wanted to get to some of those this week. And I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the URL, or give them a call one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. Catch the last few Dodger or Angels games, of course, USC football games coming up. And Gerard, maybe before we get into the recruiting, what did you think about the the start of the USC season so far? Three and zero. They keep dropping in the AP polls. You see some of those recruits from last year, class of 2010, the Robert Woods and Nickel Robies and Kristen Thomas is the world out there contributing. What have you thought about this team so far? It's a work in progress, definitely. It's a team trying to find an identity. Um, offensively, it seems like their identity is at their big play. Uh, they can pound the ball. They have a good running game. They've got some good running backs. And when they get the chance, uh, they've been able to set up the play action really nicely. And they've got the receivers that have the speed to be able to get open downfield. And that's something that USC has lacked uh, the past few years. And Kiffin definitely likes the vertical game more. And now that he's got a guy like Robert Woods who can play across from Ronald Johnson, it really stretches the defense. And when you get those teams that want to play up near the line of scrimmage, they start bringing up those safeties. Uh, you always have that threat of play action and be able to get the ball deep. And I think, you know, Matt Barkley has also improved a lot. You see his footwork. You see his being able to kind of step into his throws. And when you have those deep passes, it's very important. So, you know, identity-wise, you're starting to see the offense become big play. They definitely want to become a little more consistent, I think, with their pass protection and their ability uh, to put uh, drives together and to be able to answer drives defensively. You know, they're farther away, it seems, you know, with tackling. And, and, and I think the secondary play, they played really good against Minnesota in spots. You know, the front seven played really well. Uh, but the secondary still had breakdowns. And 
it's a, it's a work in progress, but, uh, you know, you've seen some improvement over the past few games. And uh, this week, you know, they're going to continue to be able to improve against a team that they should be able to handle, that there shouldn't be a lot of threat for them to lose to. Uh, and then you get into the thick of pack in play with Washington and obviously Stanford. Uh, but that Washington game is going to be very big for the defense because it's the first time you're going to see them play against a real marquee playmaker and locker. And locker, you know, is getting a lot of uh, criticism because of the way he played against Nebraska. Uh, but we know having watched Jake Walker play last year and in previous years, he's still a big-time playmaker, and he's still a guy that can do it with his legs, and he can do it throwing the ball, and he's done it against USC in the past. So that's going to be the first real test for the defense. So, you know, we'll see how it goes, but I like the way that, uh, you know, the attitude of the program and really the way Lane has managed the team off the field uh, and on the field just in terms of, you know, how he's done things with uh, the public opinion and, and a lot of the criticism and a lot of the stuff that goes on uh, away from football. Uh, he's handled it well. I think less is more. He hasn't said much. He hasn't been a guy that's really put a lot out there uh, for the for the media to be able to kind of twist and turn. And I think that's the way you got to do it right now if you're USC because it seems like no matter what, everything's going to be twisted against you. So why put anything out there to be twisted at all? I like it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's a work in progress, and I think that's a, it's a good way to put it. So we'll see. It's all about USC themselves this weekend. So we'll see what they can do. Uh, and, yeah, I actually talked to Matt Barkley a little bit after practice yesterday, and he was saying he really did like the play-action passes and taking some shots downfield. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, let's get to some of these questions, Gerard. And first one's up from Evan. He wants to know, first he wanted to thank us for answering his question a couple weeks ago. No problem, Evan. I'm glad we could do that for you. Secondly, he wanted to know about Soma Vanuku. Is he still committed to USC? Is he going to join the team in the spring? Will he be a backup for Havili or a linebacker? What do you think about Soma Vanuku? And not, you know, just to let people know, there's a story up on uscfootball.com yesterday that was talking about Soma Vanuku. Soma Vanuku, uh, that story actually went up uh, this morning, and he spoke in detail about his situation, uh, not only about what is going on with him today, but what happened with him over the summer and some of the reasons why he's not on campus right now. Uh, but he's still very much committed to USC. Uh, talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the recruiting game and if schools came after him in January and, and try to sway him around uh, from his commitment to USC and signing with USC last February. And it sounds like he's really focused on getting in there in January, uh, still being a Trojan. And he's got really a clear way to being able to start next year as a fullback. Uh, you know, Stanley Vili, uh, unfortunately, is the only uh, real scholarship fullback USC has this semester. So, you know, the lead of the story was uh, Lane Kiffin uh, would like to have Soma Vanuku there on campus now. He just hopes he doesn't need him. <laughs> this this semester because if he needs him, that means Stanley Avili has gone down with an injury, and that's the one thing USC can't afford. So uh, at this point, you know, they're crossing their fingers and hoping that uh, they don't need him until next semester. But uh, spring ball, they will definitely need him. And got a guy who's six foot, 255 pounds, ran for 2,200 yards, 38 touchdowns. Uh, monster numbers, just monster numbers for a kid that's really a monster in terms of his physical ability. He's still very raw, and he's still got a lot of things to learn about football, but this is uh, the cousin of Ray Maruga, and um, he's got a lot of potential. So physically, he's a guy that uh, USC is going to need eventually in the future, and uh, they just hope uh, you know he gets his I's dotted and his T's crossed here uh, as far as the remainder of uh, his classwork and is able to get in January. That's what he expects to do. That's what he plans to do still. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Evan, and uh, glad Gerard could answer that for you. Let's go to Sam, and Sam wanted to know 
about early enrollees? And just so people are not sure, right now USC sanctioned down to 15 scholarships for the class of 2011. That's the class will be signed in February. Um, if they get guys in early for this class only, which means they graduate high school a semester early, they enroll in USC in January instead of uh, you know in the in the summer and over in the fall. They can count towards the class of 2010. So it's kind of a way USC can get under some guys under that 15 scholarship limit. So if they get 15 guys in February, if they can get some guys early in January, then obviously enrolled there, then it would just really help them, obviously. So Sam wants to know how many early enrollees does USC plan on signing for the class? And obviously they'd like to get as many as they can. Um, it's really a help. It really helps with the way the scholarship limits. And that's right, Sam. And who do you think these early enroll enrollee candidates are for USC? What do you think, Gerard? Number-wise, you know, it's kind of bounced around six, seven. Um, you know, I, I think it obviously depends on uh, who can get in early. And, and some of that has to do uh, with not only the high school kids but really a lot of the junior college kids because the junior college kids, the majority of them, talk about enrolling early. A lot of them want to get out in December. And the truth of the matter is very few of them are able to get into USC in December. So that's kind of the difference between where you stand right now and how many guys you'd like to take. And then when you get into November and you start looking at transcripts and you realize these are the guys we can take. Um, Bryce Schwab is a good example. Bryce Schwab was an offensive lineman uh, last year, a uh, junior college kid who was committed to USC since the spring, went through the process, got into early December, and it became very apparent that although he had planned on enrolling at USC for spring ball, graduating December, enrolling in January, he was not going to be able to. So he started looking at his options, and lo and behold, he could enroll in Arizona State early, but not USC. So guess where Bryce Schwab is? He's starting right now for Arizona State. So that's where he went. Um, so that's, that's kind of what changes the numbers and, and what's hard to kind of pin down exactly how many guys. As far as the high school kids are concerned, that number has been pretty stagnant. The number that we had kind of coming into the summer has pretty much stayed the same. Uh, you know, we've heard that Kent Tareen wants to get out in, uh, in December and be able to enroll in January. Uh, he's committed. Um, they have Andre Hadari, the kicker uh, from Bakersfield. He wants to get out. He will probably get out. He's a very good student, so he'll be able to enroll. Uh, Peter McBride, the long snapper from uh, Chaparral High School in Arizona, he'll be able to enroll early. Uh, Cody Kessler, the quarterback, the Army All-American quarterback from, uh, from Bakersfield Centennial High School, who's having a great start to his season, he's going to be able to enroll early, and that will be very significant for him to be able to get in there and get the playbook and kind of understand a little bit of the nuances of college, and that's what gives those quarterbacks a real up, a real edge in um, just their competitions when they're able to get in for spring ball and be able to get those kind of reps. Um, so those guys are there, and as far as the pool of targets, there's really not a lot of guys right now that we're hearing are going to be early enrollees that maybe we weren't sure about over the summer. Um, again, it might be one of those things where we got to get into the semester a little more and guys start to realize, yeah, I have the classes. One particular recruit that it's kind of an interesting story going through right now is Charles Burks. Charles Burks is a 6'1", 230-pound defensive end, three-star recruit from Huntington Beach Edison High School who kind of has a contingent offer from USC if he's able 
to graduate in December and enroll in January, he has a scholarship for USC, and he'd be able uh, to be able to commit and enroll early for USC. And the problem he's going through right now, and we mentioned this a little bit in our war room, um, and I won't get into too many details because, you know, people have to subscribe. That's the war room, yeah. Don't let the subscribers get mad at me and, hey, man, you're giving up all the information on the podcast. But uh, he, it's a policy issue with some of these districts not to allow kids to graduate a semester early, mainly because it puts empty seats in the classrooms and the teachers are not getting money if they have a bunch of empty seats in the classroom because the district is not getting money, you know, uh, crap flows downhill, let's say. So that's an issue that you're starting to see kind of creep up a little bit in a lot of different school districts. So they're really discouraging kids. Uh, if you want to just get out semester early, they're not allowing it. You have to get out a year early. If you want to get out a year early, then they're okay with it. But a semester is not okay because then you have a semester full of empty classrooms, and that's a lack of money for the school districts. And, of course, that's a lot of bureaucracy and the debate to go on with another can of worms there. But it is what it is, and that's the problem that Berks is going through right now. So it's an interesting thing. It's a nuance. I think a lot of the significance with early rollies at this point looking forward is probably going to be with junior college prospects and finding out which of those guys are really set to be able to get in in December and enroll in January. All right, cool. Well, thank you for that one, Sam. Let's go to Santiago. Um, he wants to know, USC hasn't received any verbal commitments for months now. Do you think the sanctions have something to do with it? And who do you think USC's next commit is going to be? What do you think, Gerard? Well, there's a little bit of guessing game with the second question. I'll go with the first question first. Lots of guessing um, games. <laughs> the, I think the sanctions in a back-ended way have kind of changed a little bit of, of how USC wants to recruit and if they really want to go hard right now um, after commitments. Uh, they have guys on the board that they really like, and they have guys on the board that really like USC. But I think right now the kind of official visit process is going to play itself out with many of those top players. And that's kind of how it is, you know, from year to year where, you know, guys want to kind of take their visits. They want to look around. Sometimes they're going to commit early and they're okay with that over the summer. And then they'll still take their visits, but some guys don't want to actually make a commitment until they take their visits. And so that's kind of what's going on right now. You're seeing them go through the official visit process. You know, they have to take their SATs and they have to have their transcripts ready before they can actually take those visits. So guys like Greg Townsend Jr., 6'3", 240-pound, four-star defensive end, one of the top players in the nation, one of the top defensive linemen, if not the top defensive lineman on USC's board right now. He's a guy that's looking at TCU, he's looking at UCLA, he's looking at USC, he's looking at Washington, TCU, USC, Washington, really the top three, really the schools that he's really interested in. But he can't take an official visit until he takes his SAT in October. So all that's going to happen after October. That's kind of where you are right now uh, with a lot of these kids. So in terms of how it affects, with how it's connected with the sanctions, it's just USC has to be very, very cautious. They have to be very even keel with who they want to go after hard. Um, when, it, when you're talking about new offers or maybe going after a guy that you know would commit on the spot, you only got 15 rides that you're dealing with here, um, you know, not counting the early enrollees. That's where you have to be very, very cautious, and you just have to be, you have to evaluate, you have to, you know, look at the kid, uh, make sure he fits the program, make sure he's a guy that you're really comfortable with that you feel he can contribute. And so, you know, you're not seeing a lot of new offers go out right now, and the offers you have seen go out, Charles Burke, again, another example, 
that's a guy that has a contingency offer where if he can come in in, in January, then sure, you know, they'll go after him, they'll give him a, a, an offer, and he may be a guy they'd commit on the spot, but that's all dependent on him and the ball's in his court as far as, you know, being able to graduate early. So there's a little bit of a catch, and I think that's kind of what you're going to see until you start to get farther into the official visits. And once you get that process and the kids kind of get a couple official visits under, you know, under their belt, some of those guys are going to figure out, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm tired of the process. It's been long enough. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to commit to wherever I'm going to commit to. And then you'll start to see some of those guys maybe end up at USC. And then you're going to have the other guys. They're going to wait all the way to the end. They're going to take all five of their visits. You know, some guys say they're going to take all five. They get tired of them after two. But some guys, you know, really want to make sure they get every one of their visits. So those are the guys you're not going to see until January. So, you know, it, it'll still be a process for USC, I think, as it's been in the past where you're going to have some top kids at the very end. Because when you're recruiting the top of the top, the best of the best, those guys, there's always that few, that, that, that little group that's going to wait until the very, very end, and they'll be signing day type guys. And then, you know, you're going to stretch it out to the end. So expect USC to be down the stretch, you know, with a couple guys and, and have some spots open at the very end as well. All right. Well, thank you for that one, Santiago. And, you know, we've talked about the sanctions a few times. Maybe kind of get your thoughts on this a little bit. And just so USC fans know, I mean, right now the sanctions are – they're, they cut 10 scholarships for the next three years, so that's the class of 2011, 2012, 2013. The appeal looks like it would be um, heard in November. I mean, you might, USC might not hear about things until February. It could be after signing day or, or maybe even a little before signing day. How do you think that would all play out? I mean, you know, we were talking before offline. I mean, USC really can't plan to try to sign 20 because if they, you know, what they're hoping the appeal will get to because if they're wrong – then they've recruited too many guys. But if they try to recruit guys now, and you know, if they, they only recruit to 15 and they do get reduced and they can recruit up to 20, it's almost too late in the game for them to do so. It's a precarious position to be in. And seeing the way the NCAA has done things in the past, I would imagine I would almost expect it to, te- to end up being uh, that type of situation where USC kind of comes down to the very wire before they know how many scholarships that they have for this year. I think if it comes down to being that close between signing day and the actual um, appeal result conclusion, um, I would have to imagine USC would take the 15 this year regardless. I, I think they would have to take it and say, all right, you know, we'll take 15 this year and then dock a year off of the actual penalties and the actual sanctions. So right now it's 10 for three years. You've got 10 scholarship reduction for three years. I think in that case, if they actually had, uh, the, they won the appeal and the, and the NCAA decided, okay, we're not going to you know, take uh, 10 each year, we're going to take five, I think they'd have to go through with the, five, the 15 this year and, and the 15 rides and, and then take maybe five off of the third year so it would be no sanctions on the third year. So it ended end up actually being, um, you know, they would have 15 come in this class and then they would have uh, their 20 come in the next class and then they would be done with the sanctions altogether. I, I think that would probably be how it would work. I think if you're that late in the game, if you're in January, and even if it happened in January, let's say it was a really quick conclusion, which you can't expect seeing it's the NCAA, but let's, let's just, you know, let's say optimistically 
things got done really quickly and at the back end of December, early January, they were able to come into a conclusion and say, okay, you know, USC, you know, we'll give you half of your scholarship uh, penalty and uh, we'll, we'll see with your single bowl year. Um, go ahead and be on your way. I think the coaches would be in a position where, I mean, do you really have that much time to where you're recruiting the whole year? You've been recruiting for six you know, months almost well, you're under the assumption that you only, you're only going to have 15 scholarships for this year. At the, at you have three weeks to all of a sudden to, to decide, okay, well, our board is now 20. I think if you're taking five more guys, you might end up taking five more guys just to take five more guys and not necessarily five more guys you really want because the whole year you've been looking, okay, we're going to be recruiting 15 guys. So, I mean, there's a really, you know, five more guys out there. At the end of that, just, you know, you got three weeks till signing day where you go, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and grab these five guys now. Or do you say, you know what, we've been recruiting for only 15 in this class plus our early enrollees the whole year. Screw it, we'll take the full, you know, we'll take the full hit this year if we can go ahead and take five off of, you know, the, the last year of our total, um, you know, uh, sanctions uh, timeline. I, I kind of think that they would go with the latter and be able to take maybe um, a shorter, um, ex- you know, shorter amount of time where the sanctions are going to hit them. Um, so instead of five for three years, um, it ends up being 50, it ends up being ten for the one year, five for the next year, and then the third year there are no there are no uh, scholarship reductions. That's that's kind of how I, I think mean, it might play making, out. You're making an assumption though that the NCAA would kind of play ball like that. Like they might just say, well, too bad you're you know you could have signed twenty this year. I mean, it could it could work that way as well. Exactly. Exactly. It, it is. I mean, it is definitely, you kind of have to assume, I think that it's, it's just, it, like you said, it's a precarious position. I mean, it's a real guessing game as to what the NCAA is going to do in terms of their timeline, first and foremost, what they would be able to do if USC actually ended up winning the appeal, but were kind of screwed out of being able to recruit a full 20 this year. Uh, you don't really know what's going to happen. I, I just think that you would have to try to negotiate, and that would be an easier negotiation tool than trying to be optimistic and hoping that they're going to see uh, the appeal and grant the appeal uh, when that they've certainly shown no no mercy, <laughs> no mercy at all uh, up to this point when it comes to the sanctions or penalties or anything of the above. Yeah, I'm curious too. I mean, if USC keeps winning, that might hurt their <laughs> chance at appeal. Yeah. Like, man. We give this team sanctions, and they're still winning games. So I don't know. It'll, we're all curious to see what happens. So that, that'll be coming in the coming months, and well, I'm sure we'll get into more of that. Well, let's talk about – Kevin had a question about redshirting players. So let me pull up my list here. And it looks like USC is going to redshirt a lot of dudes, and this is kind of Kiffin's MO. And I, we talked about this last week on the podcast, and I think I made an error um, and I, I think Gerard, I don't know if this has changed or not, but this, this we've talked to different people and this is how it works. If you play at all, you can't redshirt. Uh, I thought there was some rule where the, if you played like in the first couple of games, then you could redshirt. That's only for medical redshirt. So if you play at all, if you play it down and that's happened, um, for USC at this point. So they, they've had Marquis Ambles play in the first game, hasn't played since, but since he didn't get injured in the first few games, he's now, you know, this counts for his year, so he can't redshirt. And, and Lane Kiffin came out and said so much uh, Tuesday at practice. But so if you play at all, you can't redshirt. And I think Kiffin came out and, you know, he said, if you, you know, last week, if a guy hasn't played yet as a true freshman, he's going to redshirt. And so we can kind of go through the list of guys 
there's most of the, most of the guys from this class, and it's a talented class, uh, are going to redshirt. And I'll go through the list real quick right now, and maybe get your comments, Gerard. So Marquise Ambles did play; he can't redshirt. Deion Bailey will redshirt. Dylan Baxter, obviously, he is not. Anthony Brown redshirt. Giovanni DePaulo redshirt. Xavier Gribble redshirt. DJ Morgan redshirt. Kyle Prater. Uh, he's, he was really impressive in the spring, but uh, and he worked his way up from the scout team, and he's you know he's doing he's got injured a little bit, but still looks like he is going to redshirt, especially with Ambles not redshirting. Hayes Pollard's out with an injury; he's going to redshirt. Nicole Roby was starting. We'll see if he continues to start. He's not redshirting. Jesse Scroggins will redshirt. The quarterback from Lakewood, Randall Telfer, the tight end, will will redshirt. Christian Thomas, tight end that moved to defensive end. Is playing. He's part of the rotation, not redshirting. George Uko, defensive lineman, redshirting. Soma Vanuku, he's not in this class, so he'll, he will. He still counts towards the class of 2010, but he's kind of a gray shirt right now. Basically, yeah, he comes in as a true freshman, so he still has a red shirt to burn. Yeah. Uh, Robert Woods, obviously, he's playing, not redshirt. And Demetrius Wright, uh, Lane Kiffin said on Tuesday that uh, Drew McAllister is going to have hip surgery in the next week or so. He'll be out for the year. He'll get a medical redshirt. Demetrius Wright is the number four safety right now, so he will not redshirt. So that's kind of the whole list. There are way more guys redshirting than what we've seen under Pete Carroll. And, you know, some of it's Blake Kiffin really trying to stockpile some guys because he's going to need them later on. But maybe kind of get your thoughts on that. Well, Prater is the one guy that stands out as someone that you would think could contribute right away, maybe even over Ambles, just because he came in during the spring was so impressive during the spring, and he's one of those big wide receivers that really plays the part. I think USC has some guys with size, but none of those guys really play up to the size that they are. I think uh, you know David Osbury you've seen a few times with uh, some passes in the end zone where he's not catching the ball high. He's not playing 6'4", 225. He's kind of playing like he's 6'1", 180. And, you know, with Prayer, what we saw time and time again is, is his wingspan and his ability to leap. Uh, he always catches the ball at his highest point, and he really did a good job of making really, really big target for the quarterbacks. And that's something that you miss. So I think, you know, it, it might be tempting to put him out there if, if he's healthy. But I think the one thing that's, you know, really kind of slowed him is that he's had some leg injuries. He just looked a little slower coming out of fall camp, and a lot of people, uh, you know, remembered from the spring, and not really sure what the injuries are. They just seem to be nagging injuries, ankles, hamstrings, and, and certain things like that, and nothing really significant, uh, but enough to slow him down to where uh, it seems like the coaching staff wants to kind of put him back in the garage and maybe just uh, let him develop a little more and, and then bring him out, you know, as a Richard freshman next season. So that's the one guy that kind of stands out as a guy that you would go, you know, he could probably – um, talent-wise, uh, give the team some contributions right away. Uh, a lot of the other players could definitely use the red shirts. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you want to kind of build uh, some physical prowess a little bit uh, among the linemen. And even some of the players that are the skilled players are guys that could definitely bulk up and use the strength. Um, a guy like Xavier Grimble kind of jumps into mind as being a guy that could end up changing the position down the line. Um, you know, he's definitely a guy that could play on the line, maybe either side of the line. We didn't see that from him in fall camp, which is really odd because we didn't see it from Tupper and we did see it from Thomas, and Thomas is now, like you said, playing in the basically second-team rotation as a defensive end at this point. Uh, we never saw that from Xavier Grimble. Uh, he's a good 6'5", 6'6", 270 pounds, 
275 maybe after breakfast. But, I mean, a guy that's big enough that, you, you know, you kind of look at him and go, wow, you know, I mean, he might be a guy that may, you know, might be able to make the move to left tackle, or if not left tackle, maybe he make the move over the defensive line. And with the lack of linemen uh, at USC right now, I mean, obviously that would be maybe more advantageous to the team uh, than him playing tight end where you do have some talent right there. So, you know, uh, that's kind of what comes to mind in terms of, you know, building depth and building some of these guys up and, and developing and, and making sure that uh, they get to a point where they're not just playing freshmen just to say, ooh, look at us, we're playing freshmen. Right, and just, uh, he, you know, he wanted to know specifically about Ambles, and, and Lane Kiffin came out and said he wasn't going to be able to redshirt. He's going to get in. I mean, he's going to play more now. So he'll be part of the rotation. I bet you see him a lot this Saturday. And uh, Devon Flournoy looks like he will redshirt, so uh, there's a guy that's going to get an extra year there. So, okay, well. Thank you for that question, Kevin. The last one I wanted to talk about, some linebacker recruiting, Gerard. Everyone wants to know about linebackers. Um, couple it's an important things. position this year for USD to recruit. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of guys maybe you can comment on. This is from Gerald. He wanted to know. Uh, Are you sure that's not Gerard? No, it's Gerald. Yeah, okay. so a lot of people call our Gerard Gerald. So if you send in a question, try to say Gerard. Not Gerald. There's there's two different names, but he wanted to know about a couple of different guys. Um, Colt Lairia, Lairla, Lairla, sorry, Lairla, and Lamar Dawson. So I think yeah, I think that, I think I said his name right. You did the, the last time you did yes. Okay, good. If I say it enough times, I'll get one of them right. So just kind of get your thoughts on those on those couple guys about uh, linebacker recruit. I think uh, about Colt's last name or, or <laughs> what was the question? Oh, no, just uh, if you can comment. I think um, people wanted to know about Colt having an offer, if he has an offer, and I think there was some controversy there. And Lamar Dawson talked about visiting for Virginia but actually didn't make the trip out to USC. Just kind of comment on those guys if you can. Okay. Um, well, with Colt, he's another guy that is, a, I think, a contingency offer type guy, um, a kid that I think really has some work to do in the classroom um, from what I understand, but an incredibly talented player. Uh, a guy that uh, you could kind of, at least from what I'm understanding and, and kind of watching some film, is a cross between maybe a Brian Cushing and a, and a Dallas Sarge. I don't think he's quite as physical as Brian Cushing. I mean, Brian Cushing gets, basically if you're a tall white linebacker that's got any kind of athleticism, you get compared to Brian Cushing. <laughs> I think that's kind of what people do anymore. Um, but this kid has definitely got a lot of skill. I mean, he's, he's fast. He's got a great vertical leap. Um, he's a track guy. He does a lot. He's not necessarily the running back, safety, linebacker, kick returner, you know, extraordinaire that Brian was in high school. So I would compare him, you know, a little bit also to maybe a Dallas Sarts in, in that he's maybe a little more of a skill player and not necessarily that physical, I can do everything type player that can take over a game. Um, I don't think he's been that quite dominant in high school, uh, but he is a raw prospect that could play linebacker, could play tight end, could be a defensive end. Um, you know, people talked about him maybe even being a little bit of a safety. Uh, but the problem is he's a little bit of a mystery. He's a guy that is kind of a little off the radar. Um, people don't, you know, there's just a lot of rumors about him more than we hear from him specifically. And it seems like there's some off-field issues with him as well. So 
He's a guy that I think USC would love to know more about. They kind of want to get their foot in the door with him just to kind of see, you know, what's going on. But at this point, I don't think anybody really knows what's going on still. And so that's kind of the deal with, with Colt at this point. Um, the, the other players were Lamar Dawson. Lamar Dawson's big body. Um, he didn't get in for the Virginia game. He was coming in for the home opener. That didn't happen. Um, I don't quite know when he's going to reschedule yet. It sounds like it's going to be October, um, but I don't know if that's a, you know, that date doesn't sound like it's solidified yet. Uh, but he's a big, really looks more like a Mike linebacker, a big body. Um, maybe could play a little Sam. It's tough because his cover schools are not great at this point. He looks like he's got good feet, but in terms of being a guy that uh, you want in the middle of the field, dropping back into the Tampa 2, uh, like Devon Kennard's doing, I don't know if he has that kind of speed. Um, he's really more of just a big body, and he really kind of compares, uh, you know, I think he compares well with Kent Turin a little bit. And Kent Turin's another big body, a big kid um, that uh, is kind of raw. Um, you know, I've compared him to maybe kind of a, a poor man's Vontez Burfitt everybody wants to hear, you know, who's the next Vontez Perfect, who's the next Manti Teo, because those are the top two guys that USC missed out on, and obviously they've been able to contribute high uh, at the college level, um, you know, for, for teams, unfortunately, that USC has to play in the future, and you see Vontez Perfect really be a playmaker at Arizona State, and um, Teo's kind of, I think, struggling with the defense that they play, the 3-4 that they play uh, in, in, in Notre Dame, but he's still a pretty good player. I mean, I saw him against Michigan State, and he was making some pretty good plays. So both those guys uh, are kind of the pinnacle, it seems, at this point. Everybody wants to know, you know, who, who's the next guy that's coming up that can compare to you to those guys. I don't know if I've seen anybody that has that amount of talent in this class, so I say, you know, I think Kent is, 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 is closer to to Vontez been I think the majority of the guys out there. Um, he's a little taller, plays a little more angular, uh, vertical. He's he's kind of a guy that um, you know needs to make sure that he kind of drops his hips a little more and, and plays low because I've seen him get a little high on some of these tackles. He's got some great highlights and some great film, but in high school, a guy that that that's that big, you know, 230 pounds, can basically close line a running back and make a great tackle. He can't do that at the college level, and we've seen that with USC already. We've seen some guys trying to make some arm tackles, and it doesn't happen if you're playing against good college running backs that have some power behind them. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of the comparison there, and I think Dawson is, is, is in that mold as well. He's, he's a big body. He's got good feet. He's got pretty good sideline to sideline speed. You know, we'll kind of see how he develops and, and where he gets put in. But I think he's just a big body right now that has some talent. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, I mean, linebacker is a really, really important position for USC at this point. They have not gotten many guys who are marquee guys that are real playmaker guys. I don't know if they still get that in this class. I mean, I think at this class, you're basically trying to get some bodies and trying to get some quantity um, with quality. But I don't know if you're going to get uh, the big time crazy five-star, oh, my gosh, this guy, you know, you can build your defense around type linebacker. I don't know if I've seen that from any of these guys that are left on the target board, unless you're talking about guys that are already committed to other schools, which is another can of worms. I mean, possibility that they come in for official visits, but you never know if you're going to be able to sway those commitments, especially if they're out-of-state type linebackers. All right. Well, Gerard, really long segment with you. We got the you pinched hit really well for Harvey Hyde. Got a lot of recruiting questions in there. We really appreciate that. And I uh, hope you enjoy the games this weekend. I guess we'll have to talk to you next time. 
Yes, I will not make it to the Palouse, so I will be watching from afar. But uh, I'll answer one last question just because uh, I forgot to answer it, and I know the person who asked it is probably waiting on the edge of their chair. Oh. If I had to make a guess as to the next recruit to commit, I would say De'Anthony Arnett probably has the best chance. He should be coming in for an official visit uh, for the Oregon game, and it sounds like he wants to make a commitment uh, pretty soon, sometime midseason, and he's got USC pretty high. So I guess uh, if you were to put your money on anything, I'd probably put on Anthony Arnett, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, a lot will happen, and like you said, you know, with uh, some of the changes with uh, the red shirts and who's coming and who's going, you never know how that's going to affect recruiting. It's a little bit of a domino type effect sometimes, so uh, we'll see how that shakes out. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks again for all your time. And everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk some more USC football. Answer your questions with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Been in practice, was in Minnesota. We can talk a little about all of that stuff in the upcoming game with Washington State. Dan, how's it going? Oh, doing good. Yeah, getting ready. Uh, another road trip. Uh, this is uh, this is actually, other than Hawaii, who I guess goes and up 35,000 miles this year in, in all of their road trips. Uh, I don't know that anybody gets started the way USC has with uh, three, uh, you know, significant road trips. Uh, I mean, basically, if, if your only road trip in the Pac-10 is to Pullman, you've already, you know, that's a significant road trip. But if you've already gone to Minnesota and uh, Hawaii before that, uh, you know, you, you've learned to travel anyway. That, that, that'll be uh, – uh, and – Looking at the schedule now, when you look at kind of how things have changed a little bit, when you look at the significance of the uh, challenge at Stanford and at Arizona, not to mention Oregon State, um, you better be able to play on the road uh, to play USC schedule. I mean, uh, you know, we've had a lot of emphasis on the fact that it kind of starts out uh, uh, a little bit easier and picks up you know, steam, but it really does pick up steam. I mean, uh, just, uh, for example, this week, the big feature, you know, uh, ESPN game is um, uh, Boise State hosting Oregon State. But if Boise State had to go to Oregon State, that's a whole different, you know, situation. And uh, USC does have to go to Oregon State and to Stanford and to Tucson, where Iowa, you know, found out how difficult that was to play. So, uh, uh, the road portion of, uh, you know, they've done a lot of big trips, but the last three road games have become really, um, really significant challenges. Yeah, certainly they do. Three out of four road games is not, you know, not you don't see a lot of top teams doing that on the road. USC's always been able to do it. Well, that, that, you're talking about the schedule. That's our first question from Matthew. 
He says everyone's talking down about USC not playing very well with teams like Stanford and Oregon looking so good. Do you think USC can beat these teams? And he says that uh, SC hasn't looked great, but they keep improving. What do you think about their shot against teams like that? And before he answered, Dan, I was I was on uh, 710 here in L.A. on Monday, and they asked if, they, if USC had to play Oregon tomorrow, you know, what would the score be? I'm like, you know, it probably wouldn't be, you know, it might be a little closer, but it wouldn't be all that pretty. I think by the time they play Oregon, like like Matthew's saying, they're getting better. But what do you think about, you know, with those teams? And, and, you know, not just playing them, but when they play them. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, and, and I, I, we were talking to so, uh, someone who watches USC pretty closely yesterday on the sidelines and kept saying, you know, the Oregon game, Oregon game, and I kept saying, don't play Oregon this week, do they? I mean, I, I just, you know, Oregon would beat them, whatever, how many touchdowns, and I said, but... Oregon can't beat them that many. They don't play. They don't play for a few more weeks, and they don't play Oregon on the road. They play them here, and uh, you know I know it's easy to look at Stanford scoring all those points or Oregon score. Let's let's face it. Oregon played Portland State the other day. I mean, come on. Uh, we don't have any idea how to you know factor in you know Portland State, and everybody knew. Tennessee was really not going to be very good this year. It's one of the reasons, you know, everybody was so mad. You know, Lane went in and they didn't have much uh, much going for him at all. And um, uh, I think that, you know, that wasn't a big shocker. Uh, Stanford, I mean, let's face it, they haven't played anybody. Uh, uh, you know, UCLA certainly wasn't ready to play when they played Stan- uh, Stanford. That really hurt UCLA to have to play them that early. Uh, uh, gosh, they played Sacramento State or whoever it was, you know, I mean, you know, people might not think that USC schedule and for whatever, you know, you can't know when you schedule teams how, how good they're going to be, but they're still actual BCS teams. And they're, you know, USC, I think USC and UCLA, Notre Dame, maybe the, the final three schools of all the BCS schools who have never played uh, an opponent that's not a B, uh, not a, uh, a division one opponent. There, there are only three now, but like 120, it's down to three. Uh, uh, USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame. Was wa- wasn't Washington? Never. Washington was one of those schools, right? And Washington, it, it drops off the um, because they pick up uh, Eastern Washington. Oh, okay. Washington's going to drop off. Uh, there, there may still be four, but I think I think actually that's this year. Uh, if it's not this year, it's next year. But Washington will drop off, so they'll be down to three. Yep, that's exactly right. They're down, they're going to be uh, so. Um, it it is almost hilarious to see people even remotely trying to um, uh, put down USC schedule when you look at the rest of the world. I mean, they're playing seven road games, actual road games, not not uh, one neutral side or whatever. I mean, that's the most they've ever played in their history. Uh, USC is different. I mean, they really are. And if USC fans want to, you know, look at that and say, "Look, we are different. We this program isn't like uh, almost any other program." And it's it's the, you know it's absolutely demonstrable. I've never played a lower than uh, you know Division One opponent, and uh, uh, and only two other schools you know are in that category. After uh, Washington plays, uh, I believe it's Eastern Washington, uh, and then. Uh, uh, Playing seven road games and you know in one season. I mean, and for example, you got a new coaching staff. You have 
the whole NCAA scenario playing out so negatively as it turned out with no one expecting that, and the most road games in the history of the program. This is a challenging year. You know, just Pete Carroll leaving, just that alone would have been a gigantic challenge for the next season. But to add all the other things in with it, uh, this is this is the kind of year that I don't think people should make snap judgments based on one week or one game or an early. I mean, it's easy to do that, and it's tempting to do it, but I'm not sure that that's the way to do it, uh, you know, with this team this year. And fortunately, they don't have to play those teams this week, next week, week after. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll be interesting. I mean, I think this team, I was characterizing them this a little bit this week is if you watch them in the first three games, it's almost like they're in a little bit of a fog where they're just, you know, I know we've said, and the, and the coaches have said, Lane has said that they haven't really been affected by all the stuff outside the program that's happening. I'm not so sure that's true. They might not talk about it, but I look at them and I don't see, for example, if you watch the Arizona against Iowa, you watch uh, Stanford, you watch Oregon. I mean, these teams have attitude. And these teams play like, you know, all the things that USC was charged with having, you know, being arrogant and being, you know, cocky and being whatever, running up scores and all that. I guarantee you, Oregon, Arizona, and Stanford are all of that and a lot more. I mean, if you want to talk about sideline demeanor of coaches you might not be thrilled with, how about Jim Harbaugh? Have you ever watched, you know, Mike Stoops? I mean, come on. These guys have attitude, and they really don't, they're not worried, for example, about, oh, I don't know if we should act like that. Well, I look at the USC kids, and I still, you know, it took them three games before they got to the fight song after the game. I think that's coming back gradually, but I think they need to get there before they go up against Stanford. I think they need to remember, by the time they get to Stanford, I want them thinking about last year's Stanford game and how they felt about that. And I think they need to start uh, developing kind of an emotional uh, take on uh, on each game. I haven't seen that yet. And it hasn't been as easy because there there weren't many connections with Virginia and weren't many connections with with uh, Minnesota. This week, it's you know again, it's kind of always like a dress rehearsal for the rest of the Pac-10 when you go to the you know the police and play Washington State. But uh, and Washington, you know, they've got a revenge game. Then uh, you hope that you know you think that the revenge. Uh, you know, Washington ruined their season last year, basically, and put them in a position that they never really got out of. And then um, then you got Stanford. Uh, and, and so I think that's going to be a key to see how much the emotional part of it starts to kick in. I know Lane has tried to, you know, downplay that, but I think I think they're, you know, been pointing to um, maybe Washington originally now Stanford, but you got, you know, you got back-to-back, uh, you know, revenge games. And uh, I'll be really interested in seeing how emotionally this team is able to focus on, on those opponents and, uh, and really uh, uh, see if that, you know, could be the difference. I don't know. But I, I, I'll be, you know, I think we thought all year long going into Stanford that there would be a real emotional 
revenge kind of thing going on there. Now we're not quite so sure because we haven't seen that kind of uh, emotional buildup for any game yet. Yeah, uh, we'll, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see there. Uh, all right, well, <clears throat> excuse me, good that one. Let's get to a voicemail question. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755. This one is from Doug, and uh, it was for Coach or yeah, you, Dan. This is Doug from the top of the grapevine. And I sure hope we're planning on uh, developing our run game so that we can control the ball against Oregon or Stanford, or I believe it's not going to be pretty. So I'm hoping that's the direction that we're going in. And um, just want to hear what the coach has to say. Thank you. So that one's for you, Dan. Obviously more more people talking about Oregon and Stanford, but I think it's a good point. You know, if USC wants to, to win those games, they're going to have to run the ball. You know, I mean, and that's that's been Lane's, uh, you know, history. Uh, he certainly, if you look at what he did at the Oakland Raiders, if you, you could say one single thing that, that improved the most uh, uh, was the run game. And last year at Tennessee, I mean, they, uh, you know, they, re, you know, recruited, uh, uh, you know, the top player in the country, Bryce Brown, and then they developed, uh, gosh, I wish his name slips me now, the other uh, tailback who was in the program, and absolutely ran the ball the most of anybody in the Southeastern Conference and probably darn near as effective as, uh, as Mark Ingram was. And uh, so uh, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you know, if you look at what, what happens every week, the focal point is who's the tailback. I and mean, we've had, you know, three different tailbacks, uh, uh, you know, in three different games lead, the, you know, lead USC in rushing. That has to become more consistent. I think they have to figure out more uh, the way to get, for example, Alan Bradford more consistent. They have to get rid of, and it sounds so obvious, but they have to get rid of the plays that Alan doesn't run so well. And I don't think they can have them as, you know, interchangeable. I think each of these guys does something, uh, you know, better than the other. Uh, but if you get Allen, you know, turned upfield with a head of steam and he doesn't have to tippy-toe around in the backfield to try to decide, do I go this way or that way or whatever, just getting, getting with his shoulders squared, getting, in, you know, full speed on the second step and letting him run through people and run by people. And uh, you don't even have to, like, drive people. For example, in that 56-yard touchdown against Minnesota, basically uh, there was a scene there uh, and. um uh, Matt Khalil pretty much just screened the linebacker, and that was all it took. You know, you know, he he hit enough of a seam uh, in the line at the line of scrimmage to be able to blow by the down guys, and now he's got a linebacker who's getting screened by uh, by Khalil, and as he runs off, you know, Khalil's uh, you know backside, now he's you know squared up with uh, with a safety who can't catch him. You know the Maybe not even be able to tackle him if he could, but he had no chance of catching him either. And that's what you you know you'd like to see as much of that as possible, where uh, basically you just take advantage of Allen's strength, four four forty, two hundred thirty five pounds, and he could absolutely you know run people down. You don't need Allen trying to wait for two blockers to clear out of you know on a trap inside. I don't think. Uh, I, you know I've been saying that for a couple of years if you could just you know get Allen doing just the things Allen does really well uh you've got problems if you're defending him how do you how do you defend that and um so uh, we'll see it looks like it's sort of playing itself out 
and I know they're going to, you know, they're going to split uh, carries this week with Mark and um, and Allen. And Mark gives you something else. And I think, you know, they, they took him out uh, at Minnesota because he put the ball on the ground, although uh, it probably was a bad call by the officials who called it a fumble. It probably was caused by the ground, was not a fumble. Uh, and, but it gave Allen his chance. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But, uh, you know, actually – if you alternate those two in some ways, you go with a hot guy a little bit more, and you've got Dylan Baxter, who they clearly have got things in mind for him that they haven't shown yet, and they're not going to show till they have to show them. Uh, so uh, uh, I think the run game will be uh, pretty decent. I think uh, you know you don't have a lot of people up front, but they're staying healthy, and they're going to figure out, I think, exactly what, what they have to run with this combination of uh, of offensive linemen and running backs. I think, you know, this is going to become clear. Uh, this is one of the benefits of the schedule is I think that they really are figuring out this is what we have to do with these guys. And uh, uh, But if they don't, if they can't uh, run the ball, I think, you know, that makes the, you know, the passing game a lot, a lot tougher because, they really like to do the, you know, the play action stuff. That's been the staple, you know, since Pete got here. Uh, and, and, and it was always the case of if you can run it, you can run play action. If you can run play action, you get Ronald Johnson, you know, behind the safeties like he was last week. And you can, you know, you call the touchdown before the ball is even caught. You know, it's so obvious. And uh, now they've got two guys that they can put in that situation with Robert Woods as well. So, uh, the run game's going well. The play-action passing game's going well. And if that if those two things together, uh, USC's offense is going well. So, uh, uh, But I agree with Doug. they got to be able to run the ball. No question about it. All right. Well, Doug, thanks for that question. And uh, if you want to call in, remember the number is 206-888-6755. Next up, Dan, we got a question from JC. He wanted to compare – linebackers Mike Morgan and Chris Gallipo and he wanted to know you know Gallipo's been named the backup for all three linebacker spots he wanted to know if you think Gallipo should be starting ahead of Mike Morgan in that with uh, Devon Kennard getting so much time at middle linebacker you know I think the key right now is I think they realize they probably screwed up in the sec you know the Virginia game when they were trying to get Devon as many reps as they can because he's really starting out, you know, he was a defensive line, you know, and last year to outside linebacker to middle linebacker. And they feel like he just has to play his way in, into being a, a middle linebacker. All, you know, the only way to do that is just get enough reps. Uh, so they may have overdone it uh, and kind of lost, track a little bit in that game as to what to do with Gallipo because we haven't seen him as much as they've talked about him uh, you know going to be a backup at the outside I think they're they really focused on him complimenting Devon in the middle uh because the middle you know they do so much in pass coverage with that middle guy you know as we saw with Gallipo last week he really um he really can contribute uh, in terms of pass coverage and he's you know, always around the ball and always got a chance of, you know, picking one off. I don't know. Uh, I think the hardest linebacker we've had, you know, in terms of evaluating what he's doing out there is Mike Morgan. And uh, we're, gonna, we're probably going to have to start paying a little more attention 
Uh, I mean, we know what Malcolm Smith's doing. We we know, you know, Devon, you know, pretty much Gallipo. Michael Morgan's role isn't or hasn't been as clear. And uh, whether they're going to, you know, figure out ways to get Gallipo in uh, some reps on the outside or not, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they said they would, but I'm not sure if they will. Uh, Gallipo got, I think, what was it, 18 plays last week, and uh, Kennard got 49 at middle linebacker. Uh, that's a good question. I think probably a good question to ask somebody after practice today is because uh, 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 with Morgan uh, not there yesterday, uh, uh, wasn't able to go full go. And I don't think that means that they don't think he will play this weekend. I think, that, I think they do. But they had Ross coming there. And not that, you know, Ross doesn't, um, you know, he earned a scholarship and uh, he's made some plays in practice for sure. Uh, so, uh, but we'll see if the uh, Gallipo can be the first backup at all three uh, linebacker spots is still operative or not. All uh, right. I don't know that. That's a good question. Okay. Thanks for that one, JC. Uh, we had another voicemail question from our, our friend Guy. It was actually for Coach Harvey High, but we can run it by you, Dan. Uh, unfortunately, it was about a minute and a half long. So, Guy, if you're out there or anyone, when you call us, you can call us at 206 206- 888-6755. Try to leave like a 20, 30 second question. If they go, you know, a minute and a half or so, it's going to be harder to play. But it, the the basic gist of what he was saying, Dan, was do you think USC is kind of holding anything back? And this has been a topic on the Peristyle as well. Is there something they're keeping up their sleeve? You think they're maybe not showing as much and they're waiting for the meat of the schedule to kind of unleash some some stuff? Well, I would say without any doubt, Dylan Baxter has been – uh, not shown at all to his, you know, full capability. I mean, if you remember what happened in the spring, we haven't seen any of the special stuff that they did with Dylan in the spring. Okay, so I think that goes without saying, clearly as far as Dylan's concerned. The rest of the offense, I don't know. I think so. That would be my guess. Uh I know if I were the coaches, I wouldn't want to even hinting at that because, first of all, you know, you're taking a chance if you, you know, go. I mean, you don't even want to tell your kids that. I mean, I think that was probably in the previous, you know, coaching regime part of the problem. The kids knew from the game plan how seriously they took an opponent. I mean, I I, I think, for example, the – Two years ago at Oregon State, I thought, you know, the kids understood that the game plan there wasn't nearly the same kind of, you know, uh, go for it game plan that, you know, they would have, you know, would have had for Ohio State or for Penn State in the Rose Bowl. And I think, you know, the players can kind of look at that and say, okay, you know, they, the coaches aren't, you know, as worried about this game or they, you know, don't have the feeling that we got to go all out to beat somebody. So I don't think you can even hint at your players that you're not showing everything. Uh, I think you just sort of, you know, drop those things in as the season goes along. But my guess would be they haven't shown us everything they can or will do. And even on defense, I mean, how many blitzes have you seen? I mean, you know, you, you can remember them almost, count them on one hand. I can't imagine that's going to be, that's how it's going to be for the rest of the year. But 
The word vanilla, you know, have they been pretty vanilla on offense and defense? Yeah, it looks like it pretty much, except the two-point extra points. <laughs> I, Those weren't now, vanilla. It doesn't look like they've helped. Maybe they've got something special there, too, that we haven't seen. Maybe they're just sandbagging people with the stuff <laughs> they've done so far, and they get into the real situation, and they pull something, you know, really that we uh, that we haven't seen. But my suspicion would be that the combination of new coaching staff uh, scheduled the way it is, uh, fairly inexperienced team uh, uh, would make for doing that even if you weren't thinking I'm going to really, by the time we get to Stanford, we're going to be ready to do some stuff we haven't shown anybody all year. But, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a little bit of it. Yep. All right, cool. And then uh, one last thing, Dan, I know that you've talked about this before on the practice field, and I, I thought the question was interesting, so maybe we can bring it up on the podcast. John wants to know, he said, I recently read where the state of North Carolina has a law in place to protect its colleges and universities against unscrupulous agents and the like. Does anyone know why the state of California does not have a similar law? Actually, California does, and it goes back, I mean, it's like 20 years Twenty years old, I think it was like an eighty nineteen eighty nine or uh, and gosh, I wish I could just off the top of my head. It seems like it's the miles something or other agent, you know, uh, uh, fairly long uh, name, but uh, it absolutely would have applied if someone would have uh, taken it, for example, in the Reggie Bush case and said these people are breaking the law. They were breaking the law in California. They were not allowed to offer, you know, those kinds of inducements. Now, again, that's assuming we still don't know in the whole Reggie Bush thing. We don't really absolutely know where did it start, who started it, whose idea, you know, all of those kinds of things, you know, how much was it a shared you know, responsibility in terms of, of all the ideas and what have you. But if you just take the fact of, you know, some of the testimony that's reported in the, um, uh, uh, the NCAA report, for example, uh, those would have appeared to have absolutely broken California law. I've talked to people involved in enforcing California law who say, I guess if hindsight is great, if you're looking back now, USC probably could have really gotten some help had they invoked, uh, you know, that law, for example, and had they gotten discovery, had they gotten the tapes, had they gotten a lot of things in advance, did they not want to, you know, was it a case of, you know, people were afraid, you know, what would come out on both sides or what have you, but clearly California does have one. California has a fairly strong one. I, I'm not even sure why. I can see why, for example, Alabama's got one and, and some of the states that have them, uh, you know, have them. But California does have one. It wasn't used in this case. Uh, and USC probably didn't, you know, want to have it used, maybe at, the, at that point in time. Uh, looking back now, probably it would have been better had they uh, – had they used it or threatened to use it in order to get as much information as they probably should have been getting in the early years. Uh, I think when I talked to the person who really knew about the law and was involved in, in enforcing California law, he said, you know, the statute of limitations had, by the time USC knew 
it was in some trouble, uh, the statute of limitations had passed and they couldn't use the law. Uh, but had they been able to use the law, I think uh, things would have turned out differently for, um, for USC in this whole case. And it's a, it was a real missed opportunity, I think. And again, you hope the people that were making all those decisions and, and, and doing all the legal advising and all of that uh, aren't, still, aren't still doing that uh, for USC. <laughs> We don't know that. That's one of the biggest mysteries in terms of, like, the appeal and all that. Who's calling the shots? You know, and are they, is anybody who was involved in the previous calling of shots still involved in calling the shots? And do they have their own issues to protect uh, going forward or not? We don't know that. And, I mean, it's good that we kind of know where Todd McNair's situation is and, He's got outside legal counsel and uh, independent legal counsel, and, uh, you know, we can see where he's going with what he's doing. Uh, we wish we could see where USC's going, but they've really held it close to the vest for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but, uh, yes, there is a California law, and, yes, it probably could have helped USC, and, yes, USC should have done something, and, no, they didn't. And <laughs> here they are. Sorry, John, I'm probably yeah, not what not, you wanted to hear. It's not California's fault. Yeah. <laughs> not what you wanted to hear, John. Sorry about that, but thank you for the question. Um, all right. Well, Dan, great show. We got to, you got another trip coming up, so hopefully you get a couple home games. You can relax a little bit. You don't have to jump on the road. But thanks again for joining us. Hey, uh, not, not a bad thing. Uh, the police is always an interesting uh, – you feel like you're going back in time, and uh, it's, it's just a it's, – it's, it's such a different place. I will say this. The first three or four times the uh, – uh, after that, maybe the uh, the uh, it's you know like going on a weekend camping trip or something. I think uh, after you've done it three or four times, it's maybe not quite as uh, intriguing as, as previous times. But it is beautiful country. This time of year is the perfect time. You you get there before the black ice. You know that they say, watch out for that black ice when you're driving down from Spokane. You know, and you say black ice. And, yeah, you can hit a curve and you don't realize there's ice under there and all of a sudden, you're airborne. Uh, so much better to be going this time of year to the police. Uh, it, it is beautiful. And uh, the stadium, not so much. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, you know, Martin Stadium, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a step back. But it's, 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 it's almost uh, it's refreshing almost to go there uh, once a co- every couple of years. You probably wouldn't want to go there any more than that. But... Uh, and I always like Spokane. Spokane's kind of a neat, neat, neat town, uh, and uh, so um, uh, it's uh, it's not a bad trip. But uh, you don't want to be there playing a night game later in the year uh, under any circumstances. So uh, <laughs> a noon start early in the year is not a bad thing. Sweet. All right. Well, Dan, thank you very much, everyone. Enjoy your weekend of college football. Thank you for tuning in the podcast, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.